Hi. Hi, Jonathan. Good morning. Uh, I woke up with a little bit of a cold, so my voice might be a little horsey. Bear with me. Um, there are things about Christmas that I recall, mostly from when I was a kid, because I have kids. So I'm thinking about those things. And one of the things that really stands out to me is my mom's nativity scene. You know, and there's a bit of a ceremony around a nativity scene if your parents have one. There's like the spot where the nativity scene goes in. You know, so it's the barn and, and you know, hers was porcelain, so everything was white. And then it was baby Jesus and everything around it. And there were lights and so you walk into the room, and it was like a focal point, the nativity scene. And then my mom uh, was very conscientious of, uh, like, mood and tone and atmosphere and, like, uh, fat. You know, she just cared about creating an environment. <clears throat> You're all thinking, how are you her son? <laughs> but it's true. <laughs> and... Uh, she just loved creating a beautiful, peaceful, really, she's just beautifully decorated moment, and the nativity scene was the focal point, which is why I remember it so well. Uh, so we would stand around, and we'd get the story. Anyways, years goes on. The, the nativity scene's there. It becomes quite normal. So I have kids, and I'm looking at that nativity scene way different. Like... <clears throat> That was not a peaceful moment. Like, uh, Mary screamed out Jesus. Do you think pregnant Mary went, ha-choo, and Jesus came out? <laughs> no. <laughs> like, Joseph's holding her hand. They're both breathing heavy. He has no idea what he's doing. <laughs> and, you know, <laughs> you know, Jesus comes into the world, and it's not peaceful. And he's covered in dirt because, you know, they're in a barn. And they clean him off, and they put him in his mother's arms, and baby's trying to feed the first night. Nobody's sleeping. It's not peaceful. So I just, I don't see the nativity scene the same way at all. It's really hard for me to, like, look at the nativity scene and go, oh, peace. <laughs> I just go, ha, ha, ha. <laughs> poor Mary, poor Joseph, in a barn, no epidural. Nothing peaceful about that, right? So I just kind of see that a little differently now. But it is still peaceful. It is still peaceful because Jesus entered it. So I want to read you something. Uh, Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6 to 7. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulders. And his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government in peace, there will be no end upon the throne of David and over his kingdom to order it and establish it with judgment and justice from that time forward, even forever. So think about that. Jesus arrives on the scene in a very human way in a very common human experience, which is not at all peaceful, but from that moment on, forever, he is the king of peace. He's the king of peace. 
Nothing about that moment was peaceful. But he was. Not because a baby is peaceful. They are when they're sleeping. But because he is the king of peace. And his authority as being the king of peace doesn't just come from him. He was sent as the king of peace to live with us and among us, not to be removed from our chaos and disorder, but to come and be in it and to reorder it and us. So I just want to start by saying the way Jesus is the king of peace is by entering into our unpeacefulness in a very human, relatable way, in a very, really non-peaceful scene. I really don't think the birth of Jesus was terribly calm. I think it was probably like many other births. Everyone's in love and having a good time, but it's chaotic. And what's interesting about this king is, is he's different than all the rest. So most kings, when they arrive on the scene, they start changing everything and everyone around them in order to create an atmosphere that suits them. A king builds a palace, he gets a guard, he changes the laws of the land. Everything is oriented to serve the desires, the needs, the vision of the king. That's not what the king of peace does. The king of peace comes into the chaos and changes how he relates to it. Even as a young man, Growing up as a carpenter, going to the temples, meeting with the teachers of the day. Was he uh, disturbing the order? Was he a rebel? Was he like an overthrow government? No. But he was relating to everyone and everything differently as the king of peace. He didn't have to be removed from the world to be the king of peace. And he didn't have to control the world to be the king of peace. All he needed to do was enter into it with his presence because peace is a person and his name is Jesus. And he is the king of peace. It's not a condition, it's not a feeling, it's not a set of circumstances, it's a person named Jesus who entered into our lack of peacefulness and started showing how we don't identify with the world and the circumstances and the lack of peace. We identify with something better. And what does Jesus say all through his life? I'm here to do what my Father says. Jesus is constantly interacting with the Holy Spirit and looking to what his Father says. He's identifying with his Father in heaven. And that dictates how he relates to the world around him as King of Peace. This is what Jesus shows us when he enters the scene. So Jesus goes through his life and his ministry he establishes his church, and when he goes to leave, he says something incredibly profound. I want to read for you John 14, 27. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, never let it be afraid. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you not as the world gives it. John 16, These things I have spoken to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, 
but be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. There's something very, very distinct about the way Jesus gives peace because he is peace. First of all, he gave it through his Holy Spirit. So it wasn't just look at me and hope to be like me. He gave us his spirit of peace and said, I'd like to empower you to live that way. I'd like to empower you to identify differently with the people and the world around you. The world's peace is conditional. Uh, if you're listening to the news, uh, you know, UK is freaking out over Brexit. Um, new diseases or old ones are reemerging in Africa. Economic tribulation in South America. Uh, lack of human rights basically all over the world. <laughs> and of course, we have lots of our own political fun here at home. So the world is just not at peace, but they're hoping through peace, right? And what are they hoping for? The right government? Long-standing institutions? And sometimes around the holidays, they get away from all that stuff, and they hope that during Christmas, the average individual will, will have some decency and maybe be a peaceful person. And they're just back and forth between hoping people are at peace and hoping institutions can bring peace. It's conditional. The reality of the Holy Spirit means that you and I always have a measure of peace with us, not based on conditions. God's Spirit inside of you means He gave you His peace. And the Holy Spirit, God, lives inside of you with that measure of peace. And being with that peace and identifying with that peace isn't conditional on circumstances. It is for the world. It is not conditional for you and I. He says, I'm with you forever. I have overcome the world. In Isaiah, it says his justice and his government from time forward, even forever. It's permanent. He came and established it, and then he, when he left, he put that peace inside of you through the Holy Spirit. You know, I might sound like a, a silly example, but uh, most of you probably know Xiao, and, uh, you know, Xiao and I are super different. <laughs> She's a smart, thoughtful, humble Chinese woman, and I'm me. <laughs> so, you know, like just, <laughs> couldn't be more different. <laughs> uh, you know, we often talk uh, about politics and whatnot, uh, and we always have this thing we say to each other. It's, you know, even if China and America aren't doing well, China and America will always be doing well between us. <laughs> like, we're, we're frontline diplomats. So we send little text emojis, it's like, um, like Chinese flag, handshake emoji, or strong emoji, and then American flag, <laughs> right? And it's like this little sign-off. And so it's kind of silly, but it's meaningful for two reasons. One is our conversations always get reduced to, uh, how are you doing 
being a Christian before being an American? How are you doing being a Christian before being a Chinese person? There's a right order in which to identify ourselves. And this political stuff that's going on sometimes seems abstract, but it has massive repercussions. When Canada and China isn't doing well, people feel that on the ground level. And their hostilities rise inside of them, comments are made, it can get a little nasty. The governments and the decision bodies of this world have bearing on your life that affect people's attitudes and beliefs. In North America, we're doing well if our pockets are full and our bellies are full. And in China, it's probably something different. But the point is, is that based on the circumstances of the world, and because Xiao and I have very little in common, we might not be able to get along. But Xiao and I have the most important thing in common. We have the king of peace. And he lives inside of me. And I call her sister. And she calls me brother. And we're at peace. It doesn't matter whether Canada and China is getting along. I will always get along with Xiao. Because she's my sister. And the king of peace lives inside of our hearts. As a community, that must be how we identify. First and foremost is the presence of God lives inside of you and you have a measure of his peace all the time that isn't conditional. It's what you identify with at any given moment. That's what Jesus showed us. He entered by human means into a human world. And he started relating to it differently because he didn't identify to the conditions. You and I live as humans in a human world with the presence of God inside of us. We identify with his presence of peace, not our circumstances. Sometimes that's just hard to do. Think about your work. Think about your families. Lots of people go home over the holidays. Sometimes that's an uh, interesting dinner table you're looking forward to. There's not all the harmony and peace that we long for in the world. But know that when you go into those places, you bring it with you. You possess it. No one can take that from you. Identify with it. And let your identity with peace change how you relate to the world around you. Jesus went into the mess with his identity. He didn't escape from it. See, sometimes these conditions about peace have to do with whether we're alone or whether we're in public or how we're feeling or not. Sometimes we think to ourselves, the most peaceful moment this holiday is when I'm not with my family. It's that little break I get between all the chaos or whatnot or, or it's, uh, it's leaving the work party and not having to put on a bit of a charade to impress my boss. or You know, it's all these moments of solitude that we define as peace. But that's not what peace is. Peace is the awkward dinner table and you identifying with Jesus. Peace is the Christmas party. Peace is the chaos of running around and you acknowledging and by faith identifying with the Spirit of God that lives inside of you. That is peace this holiday season. 
And it's just not based on any condition. It's fantastic. So we possess peace as a natural product of the Holy Spirit's presence. So what do you identify with? What are you identifying with right now? Is the most peaceful part of your day here in service? Or can you only have peace today because you're here with us? Are you going to have peace when you step outside the doors? Yes. All the time you have peace because his presence is with you. But there's another part of, of peace that's really important that John's speaking of here. It's not just a peace that you possess because his presence is with you and he identifies you and you with him. It's a peace that says, go and bring shalom. This is a word referred to in other sermons. Go and bring peace and harmony into the world. I want to read to you what the Marchioros read, Revelation 5, 11 to 14. Then I looked and heard the voice of many angels, numbering thousands upon thousands, and 10,000 upon 10,000. Then they encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders. In a loud voice they were saying, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. Then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that is in them saying, To him who sits on the throne of the Lamb, be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. The four living creatures said amen, and the elders fell down and worshiped. One of the most striking things to me about the book of Revelation are the throne room scenes. And later on, John gets another one, and he sees the sea of glass and the emerald throne and the rainbow and the smoke and the elders and the beasts. But what stands out to me are all of the martyrs, those who were killed for their faith, dressed in white. And so I can't imagine a more peaceful place than God's throne room, right? What are they doing? They're worshiping God and they're looking down on the earth and they're saying, oh God, how long until you bring your peace? Are they content even in heaven, in the presence of God, to revel in the peace they have? No. They're looking down at the earth and all the chaos and the pain, and they're going, oh God, how long until you bring your peace on the earth? That blows my mind, that in the presence of God, they long for the fullness. I mean, they have the fullness, but they're longing for the fullness to be realized on the earth. The peace Jesus speaks of is one that comes with a directive. It says, go into the world and make shalom, make peace, make harmony. Take this little taste of heaven with you and reveal it to other people. By changing the way you relate to them because you don't identify primarily with circumstances but with him, they taste the throne room. They taste heaven. They taste, in a small measure, the peace of God. 
And this is partly what Advent's about, is us longing for the fullness of peace. I think of Moses on the mountain. And God has to cover Moses' face or turn it away. But if he saw the fullness of God's goodness and greatness, it would kill him. And, and the immense presence even blinds him, and people have to help him down the mountain. I don't know what I would do with the fullness of God's peace. I long for it, but I'm just not sure I know what we would do with it. But I do know what I want. I want more of it in the world. I, uh, some of you know I'm a teacher, and uh, half of my students have uh, learning disabilities, so they're in a, a special program for that. Um, I had a meeting with a parent this last week, and uh, really fantastic mother, humble. And uh, we were just talking about the reality of their kid's future. And uh, she kind of gave me a history. And the older their sons get, their son gets, the more diagnoses he has and the lower the expectations are. Like the news just keeps getting worse. Less and less is your son going to live on his own and not need help. And now he might not even be able to graduate. You know, like the story, the condition just keeps getting worse for her. And so you see the tears well up in her eyes. And she braces for another honest conversation where she has to maybe accept that things are going to be even worse than she thought for her son. You know, like, like surely God can heal that, right? Like, where's her peace? Where's her peace? So I leave that meeting, I go to my room, and all I can do is think about Revelation chapter 5. Because the best thing I can identify with is not my ability as a teacher. It's not her hopefulness. It's not the condition of her son. It's that the king of peace is on the throne in heaven, and he deserves to be worshipped. So, of course, I'm going to work my hardest. I have a directive. The presence and peace of God means I have a directive to just do whatever I can with what I have to bring his presence and serve to bring some peace to that family. But it's incomplete, right? It's incomplete because our circumstances don't match the fullness and the presence of God. So we live longing for the peace to be realized in its fullness and for other people to have that measure you and I have now. There's a longing element to peace that doesn't feel peaceful, but you're identifying with the throne room. You're identifying with the king of peace. You're identifying with his authority to bring peace. And you want it, and you want it for other people, and it breaks your heart 
and it doesn't feel peaceful, but somehow that you're identifying with Jesus, therefore you're identifying with peace because his heart is broken because he left the throne room and entered the manger and changed how he lived and identified and gave you his spirit to have it in a permanent measure so that you could continue that work. All along the way, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, Jesus in our midst, the Holy Spirit in our hearts, the Father in heaven, all King of Peace, all teaching us that we identify differently and we relate to the world around us differently. And we don't just live in assurance of the peace that we have that's unconditional. But we go into the world and we say, like the martyred saints, oh God, how long until you bring your peace? Like, come on, you meet these people at your work. Maybe you see them as a regular at Starbucks. Like, we just meet. And what's the temptation? Is I have this peace and so I want to pull away to maintain it. I feel that way. But we do the opposite. To find the peace we long for, we step into the mess and we give it away to those who don't have it and we long for the fullness and then we find ourselves in the presence of God and we find ourselves embracing peace as we embrace those he cares about. So I just want to invite you today. I want to invite you to remember that peace is a person. I want to invite you to remember that that person, his presence, he left inside of you. I want to invite you to step into the mess. Embrace the people who have no peace. Long for it with all your heart and worship the Father who sits on the throne and guarantees the fullness of peace one day. Worship team, can you come up? I'm going to pray. Thank you, God, that you are peace. And it's, it's unshakable. Thank you that your authority makes it true and consistent, not based in circumstance. Thank you that you left it in some measure inside of us so it can't be stolen. Thank you that you're coming back in the fullness of who you are. Let your peace change who we identify ourselves are. Let your peace change how we identify with the world. And to give away the peace we so long for, oh God, would you come with all peace and power and authority like you promised that we all might know the fullness of him who sits on the throne. Thank you.